0: that will cut away what needs to go. And Lord, I pray that as I speak tonight, you'll come upon me mightily and speak through me your words of life and let it be everything that needs to be spoken under a fresh, a mighty anointing in the glory realm, the atmosphere of heaven, the presence of the Lord will be so strong. And I pray that those that are hearing this, whether they're here now or maybe they're hearing this through the internet or driving down the road, however they're hearing it, Lord, that your precious Holy Spirit will just fill where they are and help all of us, Lord, to tune in Lord, that our hearts and minds are good, fertile soil. And that we're able, Lord, to get locked in and focused to what you're saying. That we're not going to be distracted by things of the enemy. We're not going to be distracted by things of the world. We're not going to be distracted by anything. But right now, the Holy Spirit will help us to really give you our best and our full attention. We ask you to anoint our eyes and ears, that we have eyes and ears of the Spirit. And our lives are good, fertile soil. So that now the Word of God can go out as living seeds of truth sown into that good fertile soil of our lives and watered by the Holy Spirit and take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Let your light shine and dispel all the darkness, lies, evil, deception. And, Lord, let there be truth in life. And, Lord, let the hammer of your Word break down every stronghold and let everything be composite Let there be a washing of the water of the Word let everything be accomplished through this time and the word that your will to be done We be committed to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm speaking part three of kingdom finance, and I'm going to be dealing tonight with great prosperity in these last days. Now, I want you to picture this with me. We're here on the earth level. Over us is what's called the second heaven by many, and that's the realm When it talks about wickedness in the heavenlies, where principalities and powers dwell. Beyond that, when you get beyond that, in the furthest recesses of the north, the Bible says is where God dwells, where his throne is, and that's heaven, the third heaven. The Apostle Paul said, I was caught up to the third heaven. And that's what he's referring to. But we live positionally. Jesus has paid for us to be seated with him in heavenly realms. And where is Jesus seated? The right hand, the Father. So positionally, we have authority with him and power that we've been raised up with him from the dead and seated with him in that third heaven, which is far above all of the rulers and the princes and the powers and all of that. That's positionally, it's beneath our feet. But how many knows practically that we're not dead yet? So we're still here. And we're wandering around this world that is under Satan's jurisdiction temporarily. And one of the things I want to talk about is that Satan's kingdom in the second heaven, this is where a lot of the warfare comes from. I want you to picture with me just for a moment like a giant squid. And there's all of these tentacles that go out into realms of like politics It goes into realms of of people's, you know, finances, the financial systems of the world, the economics of the world. It goes out into entertainment industries. It goes out into areas of education. And even though we're in this world, we're not called to be of this world. But that's easier said than done. The only way that we're really going to live free from this world's influence is by a couple of things. One is you're going to have to become a Christian. You're going to have to be born again. The second thing is you're going to have to renew your mind with the Word of God. And I mean really renew it. Not like what what a lot of people in American Christianity call renewing the mind. I mean really where your whole belief system is different based on God's Word. And also, you're going to have to have a prayer life where you spend time with the Lord and where He can help touch you by the Holy Spirit to where you have discernment and understanding from Him to see things from His perspective. So those are a couple of things we're going to have to do. And I'm going to deal with this because in these last days, there's going to be things that are oppressive on the world. But God, if we will apply kingdom principles and we'll live according to the Word of God... I believe that we can soar above that second heaven influence where the princes and powers and the things that are going to be suppressing the world, trying to control the people of the world. We can soar above that. And it's like you're living victoriously over it. It's a supernatural life. The deeper you go in Christ, I'll give you an example. Well, two examples. There was a, a pilot that was telling me that there's times that there can be a storm that hits but that sometimes airplanes can get just simply above that and they have a smooth flight but the people beneath them are really, I mean, there's thunder, there's lightnings, there's all kinds of things going on. Also, a lot of times, you know, I've I've heard this example where there was people that Maybe in the ocean they're divers. And they were down under the water in the depths and they didn't realize that a storm had rolled in above them. They didn't even know it was there. Because under the water it was calm. I don't know if maybe there's some music or something going. If people could turn. Okay, okay. All right, that's fine. All right, but anyway... The Lord is wanting us to be able to come above these things, is what I'm saying. And the only way to do that is that applying the Scriptures. Now, here's seven realms of giving in the Bible. I left off on this last week, but I, you know how at the end of a service a lot of times you feel like people are tired or whatever, and they may not get it. So I want to go back over this real quickly. <laughs> Number one, these are seven areas of giving that God has given us in the Scriptures. Number one was the Lord told Israel... Because they lived in that agricultural society where they had these huge fields where they would plant things like wheat and corn and other things, barley. He told them, whenever you go to glean your harvest, he said, don't glean the far corners, leave it for the poor. And he also told them, don't go over it a second time. If you drop things or if things grow back up behind you, just leave it. Leave it for the poor. And God told them that to be a statute. And I believe that now in a New Testament time, one of the ways we can practically apply that is by just simply seeing people in need and giving to people. Like for the example I gave last week, I believe it's a good one, is that most of us um, after church will go out to eat. There was a a specific place we go, and there's a lady there that doesn't necessarily have a lot of finances, but she waits on our table, and she's a really sweet lady. We've gotten to be real close to her. But I know other people do this too, but I mean, I always try to leave a real generous tip just to help her out. But I believe that has to do with not gleaning the corners of your harvest. You're thinking about other people. You're thinking about the poor. And just trying to let some of your surplus go to them and help them out. Okay. The second thing is what's called Bikarim. This is the first fruits. And so what happened was. God told Israel whenever they were to grow these. uh, You know their fields were to grow up. God told them the very first, um, you know, green ears of corn or whatever it was that was growing up, that, that first fruits, they were to go cut that down and bring in those sheaves to the priest, to the temple. And this was the first fruits. And I believe that today in Christianity, the way that we can practically apply first fruits is to give God our first and our best. And it's, so, in other words, when we get a paycheck, the first thing we're thinking is, well, you know, first off, 10% belongs to the Lord, but Lord, is there anything else you're wanting me to do beyond that that I need to do? And also, not just with finances, but your time. You want to give God your first and your best in everything, putting Him first in our lives. All right, number three is the tithe. The tithe is the, the first... Um, Ten percent of what we make before taxes are taken out. Okay, so not not after taxes, before taxes are taken out, and that we were faithful to give him that ten percent, and not to dwell on this too long. But you know, God would have been fair in asking us to give him ninety percent, and him and us live on ten. You know, I think him asking for ten percent is is not much at all. it 's kind of the least we can do. But if we'll all be faithful. With our 10%, I believe God will enlarge you to where your 10% will become more and more over time. And the promise is in Malachi 3, that the Lord will rebuke the devourer. He'll open the heavens and pour out more blessings than there's room to contain. And so, anyway, that's the tithe. And some people that don't know what they're talking about will say that things like this are not in the New Testament. But that's not true, and it's not even biblical. Because we are under the priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. And Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Okay, I could go on, but I need to, for the sake of time, move on from that. All right, number four is the second tithe. Israel knew that God had told them to keep a Sabbath and and to have like a a first-of-the-month celebration called the new moon. This was every first of the month they would have a celebration. Also, the feast days. And so they knew for them to have these celebrations that they had to set aside money to be able to do that. And so this was called a second tithe where Israel would begin, the people would put back some money so that they could celebrate before the Lord. And I think that a lot of people's concept, I talked about this last week, a lot of people's concept about God is that he's boring and all this, but God had Israel, he commanded them to party over and over and over and over i'm just telling you and it was full of dancing and and celebration and it was rejoicing and it was awesome so god is not a boring god all right then number five this was called the musaf and this was an offering the the bible says at pentecost and uh, or passover pentecost and tabernacles to not come to the lord empty-handed and so there was a special offering that people would set aside that they would bring to the Lord at Passover. Because three times a year they had to come to Jerusalem. And so they would carry in that offering those three different times. The sixth area of financial giving had to do with what's called tzedakah today, but it's the alms to the poor. And so as God lays on your heart, Um, Here, you know, people say in the New Testament times, well, you know, as God lays things on your heart, but in River of Life, you can give above your tithe and designate it to benevolence, and that's what it goes to. So that would be under the category of Zadaka that you're giving to bless, you know, maybe the nation of Israel, but also the poor, the alms to the poor. And then number seven is free will offerings to the Lord. So even after all this, people... Just out of their love for God would say, you know, I want to bring the Lord a burnt offering. I want to bring him a grain offering. I want to bring him a fellowship offering. And they would gather together maybe some sheep and some goats and they would, the grain and, and all that was involved. And they would take that to the temple and they would just simply give it. And the priest would put it on the altar for And they just did it because it was a free will offering. They just love God. They just wanted to worship him and love him and give to him, you know, give to him. And so, free will offerings—one of the practical ways that that can be in a church today for us as Christians—is you know sometimes needs arise, things come up in a church, and people I've seen over the years where people will see a need in the church and will just simply come up and maybe they would buy something um, or they give an offering that something like an air conditioner need to be fixed or something. People just give to that. Uh, that's a free will offering that you're giving to the house of God just to help take care of things, you know. And all of this is, is important to the Lord. And to move from that bag mentality into where not just a barrel level where your blessing your blessing has to do with you and your family in your house, but to really get into that basket level where you're blessed and you're able to bless others outside of your family. I believe that if you start applying these, and some people may practically look at this and say, but, you know, my paycheck is X amount. Ask the Lord. And the Lord's not going to, you know, he, he knows your situation. He'll tell you where to start. And as you're faithful with that level, He's, He's telling you and you're obedient to do what He's telling you to do, you'll notice that all of a sudden your financial status, that God begins to rebuke the devourer, were things that used to eat up your money, where it felt like there were holes in your pockets and things like that. You know what I'm saying? Everybody at some point in your life knows what I'm talking about. Think back. You know. it seems like those things that just seem like kept coming up, that stops. And all of a sudden, there's some kind of a blessing on your money to where it seems like it's going farther and doing more than it used to. And you're scratching your head going, I make the same amount, but yet it seems like and pretty soon, it raises, bonuses, things start coming up. God's enlarging you. And over the years, you find that now you're able to be much more of a blessing than you used to be. So practically speaking, as you begin to apply these things to your life, so let me tell you a couple things I, I feel like will really help you tonight. I only have a couple points, but the first thing is this. The kingdom of God appears to be contradictory in some ways and let me show you what i mean in first corinthians 3 19 the bible says the wisdom of this world is foolishness in god's sight and how many christians here would agree with that but he goes on to say as it is written he catches the wise in their craftiness so god here's here's some principles i'm going to show you in god's kingdom The way up is down. To be promoted means you humble yourself. You go down. To be first, you have to be last. Makes no sense, but it works. In order to be a leader, you have to learn to serve. It's funny watching young people sometimes that feel called to the ministry. (laughs) If you're really called for real, God will put you where you're cleaning bathrooms or something at some point. And if you're too arrogant to do it, he'll use somebody else. All right, but to be a leader, you're going to have to learn to be a servant and humble yourself. In order to live, you must die. Unless a kernel of wheat fall into the ground and die. Remember that scripture? Jesus said that, you know, it talks about actually in Galatians, it says you have to be crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ through me. And Jesus gave other scriptures where he was talking about, you know, you must lose your life to gain eternal life, all this. There's a, there's a process to really live in God, you must die. And also, here's the other one. If in order to get, you must learn to give. If you want to rise to the top, you have to start at the bottom. So in God's kingdom, God has set things up to where it seems contradictory to the world. If you were to tell this to the people of the world that don't understand the things of God, they're not Christians, they just seriously would think that you're crazy and have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. But God's done this, why? Because the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God and he set things up to where he catches the wise in their own craftiness. He sets it up to where people that will humble themselves and live by kingdom principles, you will inherit the promises of God. Let me say that again. God has set things up to where if we will humble ourselves and there's faith and we will apply kingdom principles, that we will inherit the promises of God. See the world will teach the exact opposite. What I just read to you, if you go out and talk to secular people, they will teach you the opposite. They're saying to be a leader, you must learn to to do this. Forget it. You need to just climb to the top. You need to push your way. You know, if to be first and last, they don't understand these concepts. To to live, you must die. They're like, are you serious? So you mean you, you have to like die and then you have little defibrillator thing? I mean, I don't understand. They're not going to get it. And then you say, okay, well, to, to give, I mean, to get, you have to learn to give. They're thinking you're crazy. You just keep everything that you want. You give away. You know, they don't understand these principles. So this is a very foreign concept. Now, I'm going to dovetail that point with this. And I want you guys, of all the things I said tonight, I really want you to put things down and look at me. I really want you to hear what I'm saying. Because as a pastor, this very much concerns me. It deeply concerns me, not just for River of Life, but the greater body of Christ. Satan is the temporary ruler of this present world system until Adam's lease runs out, until Jesus comes back. Everybody understands that. okay? Uh, let, me, let me show you something. I'm going to explain why am I teaching this. Well, John fourteen thirty, Jesus said, I don't have much to say to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. So Jesus recognized him as the prince of this world. The apostle Paul talked about the prince of the powers of the air. And um, Paul even called him the little, little g, little g, god of this world. And so we know that Satan took Adam's authority. And when Satan stood before Jesus and was tempting Jesus, one of the temptations was Satan had taken him up to a high place and said, look out, and he showed him the kingdoms of this world, and he told Jesus, these were given to me, and I will give them to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Does anybody remember this? And Jesus never argued that fact because he knew that these were originally given to Adam in the garden. And Adam, through his disobedience, gave them over to the devil. And so, here's what I'm saying. I want this to be real clear because there's an important point. Jesus' kingdom, in John eighteen thirty six, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. All right. Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a secular nation like Mexico, Canada, Britain. It is a spiritual kingdom. And the Apostle Paul taught us, you you don't wage war with weapons of this world, carnal weapons like guns. He's saying your, your weapons are not carnal, they're spiritual weapons. And Paul taught us also You're not fighting against flesh and blood. You're fighting against princes and powers and wickedness in the heavenlies. You're fighting a, here here it is. You're fighting a spiritual battle. The kingdom of God, which is a spiritual kingdom, warring against the kingdom of Satan, which is a spiritual kingdom. What for? For the souls of men. Now, when Jesus comes back, And I'm talking about not to catch away his bride, but when he comes back and his feet touch the Mount of Olives, when he comes back, the second coming. The Bible says in Revelation 19 that at that time, the kingdoms of this world will fall before him and he will take over them. So there's a couple points I want to make in this because I'm very concerned about some things. Now, I want you to hear my heart about this, okay? And you need to listen to me through the rest of this sermon. But people, there's two points I really want to make. I'm going to make this one first. There's teaching right now in the body circulating that is trying to teach that the body of Christ is going to take over secular governments. It's called dominionism. And... They believe that through spiritual warfare, I guess, but that we're going to take over the secular governments of the world and usher in like an era of peace. And then because of this, this will usher in the coming of the Lord. It's the exact opposite of what's going to happen. But it's very prevalent. Now, please hear my heart. I'm not... I'm trying to say this with the sweetest way I possibly know how, and I don't have anything in my heart about, against anyone. But I really feel that this is a deception, that some people that teach this don't realize what they're doing. But let me tell you why I'm concerned. There's been a movement among the New Agers and other groups that teach that we can have heaven on earth now. That mankind is, they're not looking for God or Jesus or the Bible or anything like that. There's a belief system that we are somehow going to, man is going to solve man's problems. And man is going to usher in this era of peace like heaven on earth. And this mentality is going to play exactly into the hands of what the Bible calls the false prophet and the Antichrist. Because that's going to be what they offer the world. If we can just... The false prophet will say... If we can just unify all these religions... Then all this fighting will come to an end. We'll enter into an era of peace. We'll enter into this one world government. This one world religion. And we'll come together and unify in the world. And the Antichrist will step in as a political figure. And if you'll just lay down your your nuclear weapons... If you'll lay down your arms and we can unify economically and bring the world's economy together, there'll be no more hungry people. If we can all just come together as a military force worldwide, there'll be no more crime. We're just going to unify together. And what people don't realize is that some of this teaching will help sway people that direction. Where the reality is this. The Bible is really clear about these things. I don't understand how people get some of the things they do. But we are going to be fighting a spiritual battle in the spirit realm against Satan's kingdom for the souls of men. We're going to see the greatest revival the world's ever seen because the Bible says I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh before the end. We're going to see the greatest harvest of souls the world's ever seen because the Bible says in Matthew 13 to 39, the end of the age is the harvest. And God's gonna, he said the harvesters are the angels. God's going to send angels to open up supernatural harvest fields. And the Lord said, I'm coming for a bride that's made herself ready. The, God is going to purify a bride. So you're living in a dispensation right now where that's what's going on in the church world. But in the world, you're going to see what the Bible predicted. The world is going to get more and more evil, not more and more better. Which is what these people are saying. They're saying, well, the world is actually getting better, not more evil. And it's like anybody, even a non-Christian, can say that's not true. That's not true. The world is not going to get better in regards to righteousness. It's not going to. The the Bible is clear that there's going to be a moral decline in society. That people read was it Second Timothy three I believe. Where it talks about people are going to be lovers of pleasures, not lovers of God. They're going to be boastful and proud and arrogant. All these lists of very evil things. And the Bible says that is going to be what the end times looks like. So that's my concern. And I say this with a deep love. And I believe it's from a humble place. I believe it's a sincere heart of a pastor for people. But we need to stay within our giftings. There are people that are apostles, there are people that are prophets, there are people that are pastors and teachers, and there are people that are evangelists. Evangelists need to be about evangelizing. That's what they need to be doing. Teachers need to be teaching. But people need to start humbling themselves that maybe are very strong in the prophetic office and maybe other offices or something. But they need to humble themselves underneath the fivefold teachers. That will teach them the word of god and learn what god's actually saying because some of them have a very strong gifting they may be very strong in their prophetic revelation but when it comes to understanding doctrine they're not strong because they're not called to be five full ministry teachers but they're going outside of their gifting and they're trying to teach doctrine does that make sense and so I'm just concerned. I hope people hear my heart that hear this. I believe that people can sense that this is out of a sincere thing. I'm really genuinely concerned because I keep up with what's going on in the world very closely. I'm, I, and I've studied end time prophecy in depth for years. And I know what the Bible says. And I'm very concerned um, when I see some of these things come to the body of Christ. Now, the second reason I'm bringing this up is this. People are too wrapped up in this world system, especially in America. When you get to nations that don't have the prosperity levels that we do here, a lot of times they're forced to live more by faith because they don't have anything to fall back on. But most Christians in America are extremely wrapped up in this world system too much. It's like the tentacles of that squid in the heavenlies, has wrapped around their finances. It's wrapped around areas that have to do with their health. It's wrapped around areas that have to do with, uh, you know, maybe their marriage. And, you know, the thing is, regarding my family, my marriage, all of that, I'm not going to a secular psychiatrist getting secular advice about, uh, you know, from secular books telling me how to do my marriage. You forget it. I'm going to God's word and applying biblical principles. And it's the same with finances and other things. And I'm concerned, I'm just saying this out of a, out of a love and a concern, and I'm going to preach more here in just a moment that will help un, you know, understand where I'm coming from with this. But please hear my heart with this, because I'm saying this in the right way. But Jesus didn't lay hands on somebody that was sick. And he didn't lay hands on them and say, Now look, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get out this paper, and I'm going to write down some herbs, okay? And I'm going to pray that these, when you go home and you, you take these herbs, that you're going to be fine, you know. And Jesus didn't do that, did he? Now, let's just be honest. I'm not saying this to be a smart aleck. I'm being sincere. This, I'm dealing with some strongholds in American Christianity. Jesus didn't say... Now, I'm going to pray for you. Now, I'm, I'm, I want you to go down to... There's, there's a Greek doctor down there, okay, on the street over here. Now, I'm going to pray that God's going to use him. And you're going to be fine because he's going to take care of you. He's going to get everything you need. Jesus didn't do that. You guys know as well as I do that a lot of Christianity, that is the level that they're at. And because of that... They have the tentacles from that second heaven wrapped all up around their life in that area. Their, their marriages and their family relationships, they're going to secular psychiatry, getting secular advice, and that tentacle is coming out of the second heaven wrapping up their relationships. The same thing with finances. If we're not going to apply biblical principles and live by faith the way God wants it done, then those tentacles are going to come down and start wrapping around people's finances. I think some people have too many attachments financially to this world system. I'm doing my best by the grace of God to be as detached as possible to this world. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. I'm just passing through. And if the systems of this world crumble, and they will, because the Bible says so, my life is not so entangled with them that it's going to rip my life to shreds. I'm applying biblical principles to my life the best that I know how, including economically. I don't have my finances all wrapped up into this world system. I'm doing my best to get out of debt and stay out of debt. And so we 've got to pray about that, because I want people to be able to soar above that second heaven that you know that squid, if you will. I want them to be able to soar above that and live a life that the bible it's it 's like you can see the blessing of God, you can see the promises of God fulfilled in their life you can see god 's hand on their life because they 've chosen. That I'm going to live by kingdom principles in a life of faith which will make me look like a fool to the world. But I'm going to live that way because I'm going to humble myself and I want to please God. And I want my life to be lived according to his word. And how many knows this world will eventually burn? You know, after the millennial reign, the Bible says Peter talked about the world's going to be burned with fire and the new heaven and new earth is going to come. So, I mean, don't get so wrapped up in this world system. You're just passing through. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Any of us, you know, heaven forbid, but any of us could be dead tomorrow. I want to live my life for eternity and what matters in eternity. All right, here's the last couple of things. Faith versus fear. Did you know the definition of faith and the definition of fear are basically almost the same? Let me show you. In Hebrews 10.38, now the just will live by faith. And that's what I'm talking about. The just will live by faith. I know that sometimes we pray and we haven't got a breakthrough yet. And so people kind of have to do what you got to do until you get your breakthrough. I understand that principle. But it doesn't mean I'm going to live like that. I'm going to keep my focus on the Lord until I get my breakthrough. Amen? And I'm going to stay in faith. But the just will live by faith. If any man draw back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But here's what faith is. Faith believes what you cannot see will come to pass according to God's promises. So think about it. Faith believes what you cannot see, what you cannot feel. But it believes it because the Bible says it. God promises it believes it. That's faith, right? you know what fear is fear is believing what you cannot see will come to pass but it's negative does anybody see that fear is believing what you can't see but you're believing that something bad will happen to you that god won't come through that the promise of god won't happen that god will let you down that's fear It's still believing. It's just believing the negative. So faith believes the positive. Fear believes the negative. But they're both believing. When you're in faith, you're going to be thinking on scriptures and you're going to be speaking out the word of God. And faith will attract the positive. It's going to attract Um, answer prayers it's going to attract the presence of God it's going to attract holy angels going on assignment for you but fear will believe the negative and start speaking the negative and it will attract darkness remember that God he confounds the wise I believe with all my heart God does this on purpose. He knows that in the natural, this makes no sense at all. He knows that. He's just wanting us to believe him like children. He tells Joshua, I want you to take your your men, your nation, I want you to march around Jericho once a day for seven days. On the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times, and I want you to toot a horn. And I want you all to shout. And in the natural, if Joshua was a man like the people of this world, so to speak, he would be thinking this is such a stupid military strategy. There is no way that that makes any sense in the natural. But Joshua humbled himself before God. Humility and faith go together. He humbled himself like a child. And he said, Lord, I will obey you. I will do what you said, and I will believe. And the book of Hebrews records these type of stories in the hall of faith, saying that they believed God and so joshua stepped out in faith he said this is what god said to do we're going to do it and we're going to believe god and when they blasted the shofar and they shouted the walls came down and god gave him a supernatural victory gideon same scenario god kept telling him send these people home send these people home i'm sure gideon seriously got scared at some point he's probably thinking this is getting bad now i mean we're we're badly outnumbered and it gets down to 300 men facing like a hundred thousand or more and god told him then i want you just to surround the camp and you have a, a lantern you know a torch a clay pot with a torch in it and you've got a shofar a ram's horn like this and i want you to break the clay pot and i want you to blast the shofar and i'm sure gideon's thinking first off you made me send everybody home Okay, I've got 300 guys, and I mean, we're grossly outnumbered. I mean, it's like 10, 15, 20 to 1. And then on top of that, you're not even mentioning a sword right now. You're mentioning a clay pot, and you're mentioning blasting a horn. But he, in, the, in the natural, it seems so stupid. But he did it, and God threw them into so much confusion that they began to kill one another and flee and those little 300 men, then, you know, it's time to drop the the horn and pick up the sword. They went out and slaughtered him. The same thing with Naaman. Naaman the leopard was, uh, leopard, leopard. of the leopard. Naaman the, leopard. <laughs> Naaman the leper. <laughs> Let me get a drink of coffee after that. All right. <laughs> the leopard. <laughs> Anyway, Naaman the leper, the sick guy, not the animal, he came to Elisha and he's got leprosy. He's a wealthy man, a powerful man. And Elisha doesn't even go out to greet him, which ticked him off. But he tells Gehazi, I tell him to go dip in the Jordan seven times. Do you realize how incredibly stupid that sounds? Because Naaman's probably thinking, I take a bath on a regular basis. This has never fallen off me before. When I took a bath. Now he's telling me just to go dip seven times. He didn't even mention soap. But he goes out there and dips seven times. And God completely healed him. And Jesus, this is the last example. But Jesus told the the people at the wedding in Cana. They run out of wine, right? Not water, wine. And Mary says, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus says, go fill up a bunch of big pots. With water. Now anybody there would have thought to themselves. I know that wine comes from grapes. Not water. Why are you telling me to put water in the pot? It doesn't make any sense. But of course we know it became wine. So my point is. Is that God does this to confound the wisdom of this world. He gives us kingdom principles that require us. To humble ourselves and live by faith and to be humble before Him and just obey Him when you step into obedience about your giving and other areas of your life and you say Lord I don't understand it you say to get we must give you say to live in prosperity we've got to be cheerful generous givers I don't fully understand this but I'm going to humble myself and live by faith the righteous live by faith I'm going to obey you and do what you want me to do And so that leads me to these last couple things here. Isaac sowed in time of famine. Genesis 26, I brought this up every sermon, but it's so appropriate that here it was a famine. The ground is totally dry. There's no rain. And God tells Isaac, don't leave. You see, Isaac's first inclination was, I'll just go down to Egypt. You know, they have plenty of water there and we'll, whether we have to irrigate or whatever, we're going to get water on the crops and we'll, you know, I'll take care of my family. And God tells him, I want you to stay right in the middle of this famine in this desert and I want you to plant your crops. This is faith and this is humility and this is obedience. And Isaac probably thought this sounds so stupid just like the other stories I told you. But he knew the God of Abraham, and he grew up with his father telling him all these stories, probably a lot of things that aren't even in the Bible, about how God did all these miraculous things for him. And Isaac simply stepped out in faith and obeyed God. And I'm sure the Philistines and others looked at him, drove by on their donkeys laughing at him. You know they did. They're driving by, pointing and laughing at him, going, look at this idiot. This guy is a fool, man. He is planting in, you know, a desert time, no rain and he expects to get a harvest. And they're probably laughing at him. Mocking him and jeering him. But you know what? He reaped a hundredfold. So to live by kingdom principles. Means that there's going to be people of this world. That will not understand. They may mock you. And there may be other Christians out there. That are not renewed in their mind. And they're not you know, as spiritual. Or whatever you want to say. But they may also mock you. And make fun of you. But to humble yourself. And be in faith in obedience before the Lord. So here's some things about Isaac. He did not reap overnight. When you start living a life of giving, you're probably not going to see things necessarily happen overnight. This is a lifestyle, okay? But he obeyed God regardless of what he saw in the natural. How many knows that God sometimes will ask you to do things and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know that this is going to work out. But you do it anyway. You obey the Lord. He sowed what God told him to. He patiently waited for the harvest to come in. He reaped a hundredfold. While others were in fear and planning disaster, Isaac sowed. You guys remember me talking last week about how Paul um, heard that there was a famine coming? And he told all of his churches that he planted. He said, guys, I want you to take up an offering and sow financially. I want you to think about that for a minute. There was a prophecy by Agabus that there was a famine coming. It's just like right now. What if we had a credible prophecy that there was a famine coming? How many people, how many Christians would all of a sudden start taking up offerings and sowing? Instead, a lot of people would start hoarding. But Paul was trying to teach his churches not to hoard, but to sow. He reaped a hundredfold while others were in fear. Isaac sowed in faith. A wise farmer, God gives God his portion, enjoys his portion, will set some back for future planting. Remember me talking about getting in fear and eating the seed? (laughs) Don't do that. You want to plant it, right? But they know that if they eat everything and they don't plant, they're not going to have a second harvest. They better really enjoy this year's harvest. Really enjoy it because there's not going to be another one. So you have to give God his portion, enjoy what God's blessed you with, but you've got to set aside what God's wanting you to plant for future harvest. And don't be satisfied with just one harvest. Keep sowing. And giving is a flow like a river. As you give, God's going to keep pouring into you. There's a flow. Cycles, and here's the last two things. I was really shocked about this. I I can't teach on it tonight because I did a whole series called Communion Hebrew Roots on our website for people that want to look it up. But I was reading a book by, I believe it was Chuck Pearson, another guy with the last name Heidler, and it was excellent. It was about prosperity. Excellent book. But I was surprised at how much time they spent talking about the feast of the Lord. And it shocked me because I was thinking, wow, this is really interesting. They're connecting the feast with prosperity. So as I began to read through it, the example he gave was this. He said he saw, the Lord spoke to him years ago. He saw a hurricane come in and he was watching it, you know, on the Doppler. And he said it was doing like this circle. And God began to speak to him about cycles of destruction. How many Christians out there live in cycles of destruction in their life? They really do. And he was saying that there's cycles of destruction, but then he started studying the Scriptures, and he saw how the Lord had given this feast, the pattern of the feast year-round, and how it was a cycle that had to do with prosperity. Because as they kept the feast and as they gave, the Lord blessed their, their crops and their increase. Is everybody seeing that? And it became like a cycle of blessing. And he was equating that. Today I found it fascinating because I've noticed just in myself personally, I felt the Lord leading me to look into these from a New Testament perspective and understand the feast for Christians. What do they mean for us today? And as I found ourselves kind of having some celebration and doing some things, I noticed that the heavens were more open than before. The presence of God increased. And I have noticed that there's been prosperity connected to it. And so just keep that in mind, that that's something that is a cycle of blessings and prosperity. And the last thing I would say is this, for personal deliverance from poverty, fear, and greed, pray about this. Do you see in your family, is there any type of a, curse on finances that you see like a curse of poverty We seriously these things can be pretty serious where you see it seems like they'll take one step forward to get knocked back two or three steps they'll have a lot of money but they just seem to lose it all and there literally can be a spiritual thing like a, a spirit of poverty and a curse to be broken and I'm going to tell you that I've seen that let me give you a quick testimony on my father's side we talked about this years ago that there seemed to be something like that but my father and mother had always been so faithful in their tithing and their giving over the years that we always had enough but later on as god began to call me into the ministry i began to study out this and i talked to dad about it. i was like you know this area about a curse of poverty do you think there's something there and we both agreed that there was something and we prayed about it and I remember as we genuinely agreed and broke that thing, man, there was a release of a very large sum of money that was given to him. And then it seemed like it just broke the, the barriers and financial increase started coming way up. So it's picture it like a python snake that's just trying to confine you. Once you break that stuff, you can go up into all that Jesus wants us to have. So here's the way I look at it jesus paid for our salvation but he also paid for our healing and he paid for our deliverance but we've got to lay hold of it so i'm saying you have got to lay hold of it and whenever you rise up and begin to take authority and break this stuff satan is a thief so let me close with these three things satan is a thief and the bible says when a thief is caught he must restore sevenfold i encourage people to write down on a list of paper right now get out a piece of paper write down things You feel the devil has stolen from you materially, financially? Has he stolen your family? Are your kids living in sin? What has he stolen from you? Make a list and go before the Father and begin to pray, Lord, you promised when a thief is caught, he must restore sevenfold. I am believing you that there's going to be now a sevenfold restoration in my life. I remember teaching on that years ago. There was a lady, some of you guys might remember, her name was Jill. She used to come here. And she was living in abstract poverty at the time, had nothing. And I was preaching along these lines, and she made a list, and it was extensive. And she prayed about it, and she was crying. I, I mean to tell you, something broke. And that woman ended up in management, in a job. She had a good job, making good money. She got a new car, a nice place to live. Everything turned around. I mean, it was like an explosion. Did you know that there's a promise in scriptures that what you've lost in this life for the sake of the kingdom... So if the enemy has been coming against you to steal, kill, and destroy, and you've lost things in this life because of that, for the sake of the kingdom, or maybe through persecution, in other countries it'd be a lot more prevalent where maybe people come in and and, you know do things like burn down your house or something because of persecution. But nonetheless, it says, What you've lost in this life for the sake of the kingdom, Matthew nineteen, twenty nine, Jesus said it will be restored back to you in this life many times over. See, a lot of people don't know that the promise is in the Word. And then let me remind you of Luke 18, the persistent widow. She kept going before that earthly judge. He was a wicked judge. He didn't care. But she kept going before him saying, I need justice, I need justice, I need justice. And the guy, the wicked judge finally said to himself, if I don't just give this woman justice, She's going to wear me out. You know, she's just ruining my days. She's here every day bugging me. So he finally gave her justice. And Jesus said in this parable, how much more will your heavenly father, um, you know, give you justice as his children and do so quickly. You should read these scriptures. It's very encouraging. So what I'm trying to get at is this. Satan comes in to steal, kill and destroy, but God is faithful and he'll restore back many times over what the devil has stolen in your life. If you have family that are away from God, you need to stay like that persistent widow with God. You keep hold of the, of the Lord praying, and you keep binding the devil because Satan is a thief, but he can't have them. He can't have him. God will give them to you. I mean, you know, Steve Hill, I many of you guys remember him? He was a drug addict, and he was on his deathbed. But his mom had prayed for him for so long and God answered her prayers and saved that man. And look how he ended up. If you would have saw him back then, you would have looked at him and thought, man, there's no hope for this guy. But his mom refused to give up. Nathan Morris has been used really powerfully as well, but his father was saying that Nathan was away from God, living in sin, out of church. But every day he would pray for Nathan. And this is how he prayed. He said he would walk in there and he would pray, Satan, you cannot have my son. I bind you in the name of Jesus. You're not going to have him. He's going to belong to the Lord. He's going to live for God. You will not have him. He said he did that every day and his son finally just broke and he got right with God and now God's using him mightily. You need to have that same persistent faith about your loved ones, about health, about finances, about any other area. You need to really be persistent, bind the devil and lay hold of God. In his promise, and don't give up. God will give you victory. Alright, so Lord, we thank you for this word tonight. Help us to live by kingdom principles of faith. It seems foolish to the world, and it seems foolish to some Christians out there that don't believe like this. But Lord, we believe your word. I want to believe the whole Bible. And Lord, I pray tonight, give us faith to possess the promises of God. I know All of us probably have areas that we haven't quite seen a breakthrough. Maybe we've seen breakthroughs in other areas, but there's been other breakthroughs that are needed. But help us, Lord, to have faith to lay hold of the promises of God and to press in for that victory in Jesus' name. And I pray for finances, Lord, that your grace and wisdom in our lives to truly um, live financially the way you want us to, Lord to be cheerful, generous givers, and to live by faith in our finances. And to not live according to this world system, but live a life of great faith. Oh, we thank you, we bless you, and help us, Lord, to get all of these worldly-like tentacles that try to wrap up different areas of our lives, to break free from that, and to soar above this world system by living by faith in the Word of God obedience to the Word of God, humility before our God. Help us, Lord, to soar above this world in these last days. We thank You. We bless You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.